Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 149. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, it's going great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, so uh, this week we have, I want to say the second half of an interview. That's like pretty safe. Yeah, right. that's a good call. Uh, it is a sequel, right? This is part two of our interview with Chris Wall. Ah, that's right. Last week on episode 148, we had the first part of that interview. And if you haven't listened to it, very, very worth going and listening to that. I, I want to say like, like, you know, I went back and listened to it yet again, and it was just as enlightening like the fifth time that I listened to it. That dude is super insightful. Yeah, for sure. I just really think that we totally glossed over in our intro and outro last week his emphasis on writing and how that really started early, early on back as he was prepping to get his first job. And it's just been a theme throughout his career, which you'll find continues this week. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. He uh, talked about that a lot, and I don't think that we really hit it when we uh, did the intro or the outro for some reason, whatever reason. I don't know. We're slackers. We are. Um, He, uh, I think, kind of left off uh, talking about his time at Rubric, right? Yes, and the magic of the startup. That's where we last left Chris on our adventure. Awesome. Okay, so uh, I think this week we're going to talk to him a little bit more about Rubrik, and especially like as his time wound down at Rubrik, um, what he did after that. I think he's eventually ended up and is currently at Slalom. And uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that we talked to him about the Data Knots podcast. As well, well we because we definitely talked to him about data knots. We are both fanboys, and it was very difficult to not spend the entire two episode span just fanboying about data knots. So, fortunately, we were able to uh, to hold back. But um, we did our best. <laughs> without uh, further ado, let's get into part two of our conversation with Chris Wall. I think you can chase being a builder, but you have to respect the magic of that startup vibe and not try to chase that because that's fleeting and rare and you should respect it. I feel like that that's an interesting distinction to make because you can still f- feed the, the builder within you, right? Yeah. From different uh, positions. And, and so maybe we could talk about that a little bit. The current position at Slalom, do you feel like that is the part that you're feeding Slalom came out of a bunch of things. You know, I, I had been at Rubrik for almost six years, and 
I'm a builder, right? So I didn't feel like I was really adding much. You know, I'm very self-conscious about the inputs that I provide, the values that I provide, and the company was being so nice to me. Rubric was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I still talk to people there to this day. But it was one of those things where we all didn't want to part ways. But eventually I said, I think it's time. You know, I just need to go build something else. And I took some time off. I just quit. You know, I didn't have another gig lined up because, uh, you know, it's the pandemic, right? Everybody's going through some mental stuff and wellness stuff. And I figured it'd be good to take a break. And uh, Cyberpunk 2077 was coming out and I wanted to play that. So, <laughs> you know, I had my reasons. But um, I had talked to Slalom right before Rubric, actually, in 2015. They were uh, potentially entertaining a role where I was doing some DevOps stuff, and I turned it down for Rubric. Out of the blue, I get this email from a recruiter, which I don't, <laughs> I don't open recruiter emails uh, from LinkedIn. It was a really nice message. It was personalized. It was to me. I liked it. I liked the person that wrote it. Uh, it's a recruiter named Becca at, uh, at Slalom. And so I was like, oh, actually... I have heard of Slalom, and I talked to them many years ago, and this is who I talked to. I had all my notes, right, my my binder, and got to talking about it, and it had the things that I wanted. It was a local team, so I actually work here in Austin with people locally, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to like live here because prior to that, I was here a week a month tops, so I wanted to be a citizen. Uh, the second thing was I, I wanted to work specifically in, in cloud architecture. I didn't want to work on-prem at all. I wanted to completely obviate that from my skill set. I don't do any virtualization, and I wanted to keep it that way. Uh, so it was good for my skill set. And um, it's a company that really valued inclusion diversity to the point where I have the ability to hire a team, and I have. And I've been able to really bring in a lot of unique perspectives and backgrounds and build the team I want to build, you know, and, and really hopefully give them some wisdom from all the mistakes I've made for the past 25 years. Uh, and that's what I was looking for. I just wanted to solve problems with a team locally here, go have some tacos. And uh, it's been great. It scratches that itch. It's definitely where I want to be when I'm in my 40s, you know. Definitely good tacos in Austin. Now, when you were at Rubric, were you also hiring people in the same way you are at Slalom, or was there a big distinction in the role differences? Rubric was a big role difference, yeah. I mean, here's a, here's a, quick, here's a quick weird story. So I'm at Rubric as the, the, what was it, the technical influencer or something like that, I, I, technical evangelist. I forget the original title, you know, tech evangelist, I think it was. And um, I'm flying out all over the world doing these tech shows and stuff. It sounds glamorous. It's just being shoved in an airplane constantly. And the problem, every time I go to Europe, they would think I was a minister of some sort, like a, a, a religious man, because evangelist. And it got frustrating because I, it's, I'm already, I don't speak French or, or Spanish or these other languages. We already have a language barrier and potentially, you know, English is a second language. And then they're wondering, why is this, you know, religious guy here to talk about tech? So I was like, hey, can we just change the title, please, to anything else? How about chief technologist? That sounds cool. I'll take that one. And that means it'll, I'll get better meetings because it has the word chief in it, but I'm still technical. So I made up the title. I don't think I was the first one, but I took that over. But my actual job was, aside from like meeting, meeting people and doing presentations and whatnot, was running technical marketing. You know, like I ran that team. So yeah, I, I had other teams that I also like I did, uh, I had developer relations under me and, 
like a competitive Intel group and some other things. It just meant that I was kind of running a, a like a, a miniature department with subgroups and things like that. I was I was not so good at it, to be honest. I, I was more of the evangelist kind of guy. I wanted to write blogs and make videos. So I made a lot of mistakes as a manager. Uh, and I was I was a senior director in this company because I'd been there so long. So uh, a lot of it was learning for the first time. I'd never been a director, much less a senior director. I didn't even know what that meant. So it was just a, a lot of learning and hiring and uh, making mistakes along the way. But I got some good people out of it. I'm not saying, for those listening, if you are, you're not a mistake. I, I made the mistakes. You're awesome. Did you want to run subgroups and departments when you came to Rubric originally? Or had you done anything like that before that time? Let me ask you that question, Nick. Do you want to just travel around the world and talk to people and go meet people and do presentations? Or do you want to be a manager? The first one. Exactly. That was what I wanted too. Yeah, I think that's what I wanted. But that's not, you know, it's not what you get. The company grows. You're expected to show leadership. You're expected to take on responsibilities. And, you know, I I did. So I just did the best I could and, and said, yeah, I'll do it. And honestly, my biggest mistake was I spent too much time not managing and not really thinking about my strategy and how I wanted to do things. Uh, I just kind of gathered a group of people and said, let's go do some cool stuff and figured that was enough. And for a lot of it, it was when you're small. But uh, once you start trying to grow and get complex and a company becomes more like a company, you can't just go like off into the sunset riding on your you know airplane horse and expect things to be fine. You have to sort of have plans and take meetings and spend one-on-one -on -one time with your people. So again, it was, uh, it was a humbling time for me. Yeah, I think it, being, it can be tough to learn to manage, right? That's a, unless you are in a spot where your manager spots that and points it out to you and, and, and gives you some guidance and coaching. It, it certainly can be difficult. I, I've never been in that situation before. I think I'm just echoing what other managers that we've interviewed have said to us. I, I think I had pretty decent managers, but I had never worked at a, like a vendor startup before. And it was all new to me. It was just really new. I think the biggest takeaway, if I'd give myself advice through a time machine, would be to remember that I, I have control over what I do and my destiny. You know, no one, no one needs to tell me what my role is. I just need to do what I need to do. You know, I, I was kind of, I was always sort of waiting for someone to tell me where to go or what to do or what role to have, or, you know, I was too passive. I should have taken a more active role and decided my own future and built my own role and decided what I was doing more than I did. And I think that's, I think that's honestly good advice just across the board to be a more active participant in your own role. And if you had had that opportunity, would you have steered away from becoming like a, a people manager? No, I think that's inevitable, uh, at least in that particular situation. I just would have gone way more into building a team that was building tools and writing code and working more more on the engineering side of things and not gone on the marketing side. That that said, the marketing side, I've, I've learned, I think it was actually more valuable. I think I made the right, wrong decision just because it's a skill that literally no one else has in my peer group. Like who's who's worked in marketing for a CMO running a, a technical marketing group? It's very rare in the space that I'm in. And it gives me a lot of advantages that, that I certainly monopolize on. But uh, at the time, I just wanted to be hands-on and really nerdy and tech out on this stuff because that was my background prior to joining. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ups and downs, man. There's never it's never black and white. It's always 
shades of beautiful gray. Yep. And you're describing that struggle between I must be really technical because that's what I've always been and then being okay with, okay, maybe I can let a little bit of that go because I need to focus on this new responsibility I have. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing now where I'm at in slalom. Like I'm, I'm super not technical comparatively because I expect my engineers to be very technical and very hands-on. You know, I can design a multi-tenant, you know, CICD pipeline system at the architectural level. And then I expect the engineers to write the Terraform code and implement the GitLab groupings and, and just take the ideas and put them together. Uh, and I like being at that point. I, I don't, you know, I don't need to be, I still write Python code and Terraform code, but it's more just a hobby to keep myself sharp and up to date with the features that are available and kind of how things work and everything else I expect, you know, the much more capable engineers working on my projects to, to deliver the hands-on keyboard stuff or the hands-on YAML, I guess nowadays, whatever. It's an interesting distinction to say that being good at architecture is not being technical. It's it's almost like it's just a different skill um, as opposed to saying it's not technical. I, I don't know. I, I guess like if, if I were to say, you know, like building architecture is not technical compared to construction work, people would say that I was wrong, right? That it's just very technical in a very different way than construction. It's a good point. I guess maybe it's because of my tools. You know, I'm working more in lucid chart and spreadsheets and, you know, diagrams and things like that. But yeah, for me, it's just um, now that I've worked in so many places and done so many different things, you know, to be generic about it, I'm just not afraid of really any of these challenges that I run into stumping me because I know I got a great team. I know I'm not alone. And I know for, you know, 22 years, there's always some way to solve it because people invent these problems. These are people tools built by people to be operated by people. Hey, I'm a people, so I think I'll make it work. You know, it's not that intimidating. I think that we kind of like skipped over um, where data knots happened. And Nick and I were both huge fans of that. So we wanted to make sure to to revisit that. I miss data knots a lot. Yeah, I think we've re- I think we've recorded kind of the origin story, but the short version was Ethan and I met at Cisco Live in 2013. I was a big Packet Pushers fan. And uh, we were at a table for influencers for something that was going on. And I made sure to sit by Ethan. I wanted to talk to the guy like, hey, if I'm at the if I'm at the cool kids table, I'm going to go talk to the person I want to talk to. And we bonded really well. We're very good friends. And um, I was like, ah, I hate that there's all these silos. I hate that there's like network people and server people and that we can't build stuff together. We wanted to make a show about that. And then we did. We made, you know, it was called IT Engine Builders at first. And then we scrapped that and became data knots. Um, but, you know, I just got to a point where it wasn't fun anymore. It was it was cool. I like talking to people. I like building the show scripts. But, I, you know, I'm a builder, right? We built a successful show. I felt like it was good. I felt like the only way it could go was down. Because if my heart's not into it, then you're going to notice and, and I, you know, I wanted to start a family. I wanted to move. I had personal ambitions. And we talked quite a bit about it, Ethan and I, uh, over, over the years. And we always said, when, when someone's done, just say you're done. Don't, don't worry about it. We're, we're close. And I said, you know, Ethan, I, I'm done. I need to, like, it's, the show's great. It's in a great spot. But, uh, 
and I don't want to see it just kind of like whimper away or anything. But let's let's just record a nice, you know, thank you and and move on. And I think that was the right decision. And I certainly do miss I miss the show. I miss doing the show. But I you know what I don't miss all the stuff that y'all have to do to like get these shows going. <laughs> like that is just you know, I, I kinda I retired. So there's 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 no there's no like bad juju. In fact I was just on a call with Ethan prior to this, so I guess he says hi. Hi hi everybody. He tells you what to expect from us, I guess. <laughs> no, he didn't. So now now I maybe I should be worried. He didn't say anything. Oh, no no warnings. Okay. So well. we had fun building it. I think it was I think it was a unique way that we put it together and it was it was a show made of love. We we wanted to we wanted to work together and we wanted to tell stories about people building better IT because they work together. And uh at the time, I don't know if things have changed all that much. I think they have changed for the better. But at the time, that was a radical thing. Like, oh, my gosh, you're talking to the network people? What's wrong with you? Like, hey, they route our packets, man. We got to know these people. You know, there's no reason to have a war over trivial technical stuff. You know, it's totally pointless. Yeah, I think um, I think Nick and I are just selfish. You know, it's like when there's something that you love, you want it to go on forever and you want the people who are building it to sacrifice everything to make sure that the thing that you love keeps on going. Um, That's really what so it that, is. That is that is us being selfish. So on the other hand, you know, we we started up our podcast and uh, and we know what it takes on the other side. So you know, I think maybe we are not uniquely, but in that you know rare group that totally understands why uh, you can burn out on or just be done and not have enough time. And, and want want it to uh, go out on a high note. Absolutely. I'm sure, you know, Nick and I have promised, like, you know, episode 1000 rolls out. We are probably going to be done. Maybe. Thousand. All right. I mean, I only made it to like 200 or something. So kudos. Weekly <laughs> releases. So we'll get there. Yeah. It, you know, we'll yeah. forget how many years that is. We'll calculate that later. But Nick and I are thinking about going to a twice daily format. So Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> what my eyes just started getting big. That's a that, lot. That's a, that's a negative. That's that's not happening. I'm really curious, Chris. What's your perspective on the difficulty people have letting something go even though the time may be right? You know, in your case, you knew it was time to let it go, but I think some people when they've done something that was as successful as Data Knots it would be extremely hard for them to even consider, okay, I gotta, I gotta lay it down. I, I disagree. I, I think it's just, does this make you happy? Does this bring you joy? Is this doing something for you? Like, it's obvious that y'all still enjoy this show. You know, it, it's something you want to do. You want to put time into it. You, you've got all your fancy microphones and everything. Like, it's cool. And I think that's just, that's just the test, right? Is this, does this bring me joy? Is this furthering my goals? Is this doing something for me and my mental wellness or my, you know, my career goals. And if the answer is no, then it's not the right thing, period. You need to pivot in some direction, you know, or, or you're just like, it's paying the bills and, and you need to like keep working on getting out. Uh, and that's, that's just something I've been doing recently across the board. Like anything that's just getting in my way or not bringing joy or not furthering what I want out of my life, especially through the lens of the pandemic, right? It's really put laser focus on how do I get the maximum amount of value and joy out of my life? Uh, and that's it. Put that lens on there and take a look. And uh, if it's not coming back as a as a positive result, it, at the very least, you should look into it. 
And you're, you're ringing all the bells, Chris. Like uh, Nick and I were just reading this book called uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport. I forgot who suggested that, Nick. It was a Josh Duffney suggestion. Oh, Josh Duffney. That's right. And that exact theme came up, you know, of paring down the things to the things that are most valuable for you professionally that and uh, that you get deep fulfillment out and, and trying to cut back on the rest, you know, because the rest is either administrative or, you know, you feel like you owe it to somebody, but you don't actually, or, you know, all any of those things, right? You just, uh, it, that that's not the main uh, theme of the book. The main theme is, is doing like, you know, really focusing your professional life on doing like really cognitively challenging, like high concentration work um, and being the most valuable that you can be. Like that's the main theme, but I think some of the corollaries are about, you know, pairing away the other stuff. So just really uh, rings true when you say that. That's not a question. That's just a statement. Uh, welcome to the Nerd Journey podcast where John doesn't ask questions, just makes statements. <laughs> it sounds actually very similar to the methodology Jonathan Frappier took uh, several episodes ago. He talked about peeling back the layers. You know, he decided not to go to conferences and decided to shut down the blog because, to your point, Chris, it wasn't bringing him joy. It was making him feel burned out and like he was just over overtaxed. And it sounds like you've you've come to a similar conclusion. I feel like people end up with this fear of missing out and I'm in technology and I need to need to be the hero and do all these things and I'm not thinking about my self-care maybe as much as I should. Well, yeah. I mean, the problem with most FOMO is that comparison is a direct road that leads to to sadness. You know, comparison is is the death of joy. Uh, I, I forget who said it, but uh, it was like, I'm, I don't want to compare my real life to your highlight reel, right? And that's what happens when you look at social media, when you look at investments that you feel like you had to make to be part of the so-called community or the social media community. And the real, the lesson there is it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors. There's, there's not really a lot of tangible value there. Uh, especially as someone contributing to it uh, for so long, I came to the realization, I think a year and a half ago, like, hey, I'm, I'm out. This actually does nothing for me. I'm creating content and providing value on other people's platforms. And I'm sitting here swiping through, you know, more friends that I could possibly imagine having, uh, having looking at the, their perfect lives through these really, really distorted lenses what is the point of this? Why, why am I doing this? This is a complete waste of my time. It only makes me unhappy. It only makes me depressed. You know, like, and so I deleted all of it. You know, I got, I got the blog still hanging around, but it doesn't send notifications to anyone anymore. I don't use Twitter. You know, I'm barely on LinkedIn. I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm off the grid. I don't know what y'all are up to or any of the, the social. I have no idea. And I don't feel any FOMO. I just feel joy. So I'm just focusing on me and my people and what we're working on and solving cool problems and writing it down and, you know, waking up the next day, wanting to do it all over again. You probably gave yourself a lot of time back too, just to spend with family and do recreational <laughs> things you've always wanted to do. The The sad part of that is I know how much time it was because the, the Android phone and everything tracks your app time and the wellness. It was something like three to five hours a day that I got back. Three to five hours a day. 
that's just back in my pocket. I feel super productive these days. Like this whole year, I've been just laser focused, ultra productive. The distractions are gone and I feel creative for uh, one of the first times. It's been years since I've really felt this creative and, and sharp again. So, and that's coming out of a pandemic. So I'm like, this is weird. But yeah, you just got, you got to eliminate all that stuff. It, there's no joy there. I mean, I really feel like you're trolling me and that you actually read this deep workbook and you're just saying these things to, to feed, feed the, feed the case study that's already going on in my brain. But, um, uh, really almost everything you just said there was like, not quite word for word, the recommendations in the book, but pretty much like what, what is actually bringing you, you value and the like highly distracted state of looking at what's going on in other people's lives and, and possibly like comparing what you have going on there probably doesn't help. Probably doesn't help you do really important, deep concentration, highly cognitively functioning and demanding things. John, you know what it doesn't do? It doesn't build connection. Mm. There's no connection there. I can't mm -hmm. have a thousand friends. I can have 20. I can have five that I call regularly. I can have my team of about 12 you know, and I can connect with them at a personal level and a professional level that provides more value in my life, just the 15 or 20 people that I interact with on a regular basis than the 14,000 people, you know, following me on Twitter, right? There's, we've, we've become so brainwashed into looking at the signal to noise ratio completely backwards, where we take a social media platform and we judge the value of someone's message based on you know, hearts and thumbs up and other random stuff that's completely irrelevant and provides no context to the to the meaning of the tale there. And there's always a few exceptions here and there, but by and large, you have no idea the value of what what's being provided to you because it's filtered and washed through so many layers with a social media lens applied to it that if you try to find even technical value, like where do I find good technical stuff? It's all marketing fluff being just shot throughout the ether. Uh, and the ultimate end is that you lose that connection and you don't network with people and build those bonds that you need as a human being, even if you're remote, you know, with, with your close circle. So yeah, it's, I'm not trolling you. I don't, I haven't read the book, but this is just something that I've come through in the past couple of years in my own journey and reading what other people are suffering through burnout and depression over social media and the comparison lifestyle and Instagram and all that stuff. And just, no, I don't need any of that. Nick and I, we're going to have to record an episode about this book. Um, because this, is, a, this is the, okay, good. Is it on the calendar already? Yep. Uh, a couple days oh, from okay. now, actually, we're going to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> good. Did uh, you send Chris the notes for that episode before this one? I, I feel like he's reading them to us. And, and Chris, I kind of feel like you're undercutting this future episode that we already have planned. Not really, but I, it, like the passion that you have about this, you know, the, um, I feel like, you know, is like a really strong, like argument for this, like, you know, connect like false connections, you know, shallow connections, trading your attention to, you know, conceivably get like some kind of magnified attention from a bunch of people that you don't actually know. Maybe not a great idea. Almost certainly not a great idea as opposed to kind of like a, um, the, the deeper connection uh, that, you know, that you get from actually directly working with people or, or making like direct uh, connections with people. There's, I don't think that there's a good um, alternative right now, other than like 
work friends <laughs> um, or, you know, conference friends that came from like kind of the shallow, uh, shallow connections that we made. So um, I'm not, I don't actually have an answer for what we replaced that with. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, I, I wanted to get that out of work. I wanted to work a place that there were people local because, mm -hmm. you know, we can go outside and wear a mask and we're all vaccinated. And so it's just, you know, we, we have a level of safety and comfort around each other, but you're right. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, but it's also super critical and it's something that literally every organization is struggling with is building connections. Cause I'm seeing numbers like 50, 60% of the, of the job market is looking to switch jobs this year. Number one reason cited, not able to feel included and connected with their peers or with their company or with their mission. And so connection is driving this huge herd of people to churn through their own values and introspect their own lifestyle purely out of a desire for connection, right? So it's this giant upheaval that we're going through and it's causing rippling effects all throughout tech. It's just been a really wild year. Um, and it's just something that I, I feel like you have to prioritize. You just have to, you have to find a way to build those connections, uh, because that, that's where joy lay is in those connections. Yeah. Getting a little, getting a little deep. There. Yeah. Well, that's a great <laughs> point though. I mean, if you are on LinkedIn or Twitter, you might see a lot of your people, you know, within the same big company, oh, they're leaving and they're leaving in droves to your point. And you start to go, what's going on? It starts to impact you in a negative way. And you're like, oh, should I do that too? Do they know something I don't? Well, I think that there's this, because of the pandemic, it's put this extra stress on us. And it's forced people to think about what is really important. And I think a lot of people are going through their lives and saying, I need to reorganize what it is that I'm doing. And you know, for better, or for worse, like a lot of us are in a position where we can say, I have the, t the flexibility to take, you know, a little bit of time off between jobs. I don't necessarily need to have another job in order to leave a job. And, and it's not that, you know, it's bad or the job is bad. It's just that, you know, sometimes we're looking for something a little bit better. Um, and that can just mean, you know, mentally, psychically, you know, however it is you want to measure that. Right. Yeah. And what a great time to, to make a switch to, you know, it's just everybody I'm working with on the client side is just slammed looking for people, looking for talent. We're hiring people left and right. Um, and so, and, and you're seeing quality of life improvements being spread, uh, guarantees for remote work, no longer being geo bound to a specific zip code or, or tier for pay. So, well, first we should find our gratitude. The fact that we have these opportunities, is fantastic. And not everybody does. And then once you found your gratitude, find find where you want to actually find your joy and your lifestyle. And now is a great time because there's almost this little revolution going on where the power shifted. I think the technologists definitely realize that they have that power and are executing on it by finding, you know, that place where they can further their career or find better work life balance or, you know, in my case, eat tacos with people that I work with locally, right? You can you can actually prioritize things that that matter and that feels pretty good. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. But I mean, that's all an outgrowth of, you know, setting yourself up, um, you know, speaking to the audience now, having the skills that people need um, and, you know, having gone through the process of making yourself super valuable, right, and, and attractive to somebody who's looking to hire. So 
you know, all the steps that we always talk about, um, doing good work, documenting it, improving your skills, getting better, always getting better. Yeah. You have to have the chops if you want to make the move. But then, you know, if you've, if you've been doing that and it's, it's not too late to start, you know, there's these cycles that come around all of a sudden, you know, now I, I don't know that this cycle is going to end. And what I mean by this cycle, I mean a situation where the, you know, some of the most important skills to have are the ability to like learn new technologies really, really quickly and then excel at executing on them. Right. And is that, is that going to change, you know, next year? I don't think it is. I think if anything, it's just going to accelerate. Right. And these types of, you know, knowledge work jobs are, are going to be some of the most valuable out there. And, uh, so if, if you're out there, you know, in this, uh, job market, like, you know, I think Chris, you said it, be thankful that you've, um, that you're in a position to, uh, you know, to, to be in a market where, you know, people are demanding these skills. Um, and if, uh, you feel like you're not in demand, then, you know, um, you might not be looking at the market exactly the way that we're looking at it. Like there is a shocking lack of talent out there and people are desperately hiring. So, And one thing I'll add is if you were to eliminate the distractions or, or I guess you would call it the mask of social media to a large extent and get a bunch of time back and make more real connections like you've done, Chris, oftentimes that can put renewed energy into what you're doing that maybe you weren't as excited about it as you could be after. That rings true to me. That rings true to me, right? The the idea that you remove the cruft, remove the distractions, remove the things that being highly connected, like, you know, has this like, you know, sometimes negative effect. And if you remove all those things that you can start to feel really good about the stuff that you're actually doing and the people that you're actually connected with, right? And then you can make choices about who you're connected with and the things around you that make you feel really good. We're just talking to ourselves now. <laughs> well, I, I like what you said, Nick. I think that I think that rings very true. Yeah, for me, it just comes down to having the gratitude every day. That's something that you should start with always. And then realizing that, yeah, these these things you talk about with learning and, and being able to learn and continuous, fo continuous focus on learning, it's just patterns. It's recognizing that there are all these patterns that work when it comes to building, designing, dealing with tech. And once you identify what these patterns are, it's implementing them in the unique situations you're in, right? So it's 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 always going to be about learning new things and finding the patterns that they fit against and then making them work. That's forever what tech has been, you know, and what it will always be until the AI overlords come in and we don't have to write code anymore. Uh, and the nice thing about modernization of the tech stack is it's actually easier to do it now. You don't have to go in and cable stuff. And, you know, a lot of cases you just write some, you know, a little bit of YAML or something that's done. I was talking to someone recently. I was like, oh, man, it's so much harder now than it was before. I'm like, are you kidding me? I remember sleeping feeding diskettes into a mainframe over the course of a weekend on the floor. Like, I am never going to have to do that again. That is automated, right? There's so many cool things that we have now. Uh, if you're thinking that this is just like not your world, like maybe it's just not then because it's it's just really fantastic. I really enjoy the tech stacks of modern days today. Um, 
that's just my two cents. I'm having a good time. That's exciting kind of to hear. There. <laughs> no, those are good points. No, that's a great point. Yeah, like it's it's almost like the the things that matter you can get to straight away, and the things that were just almost like administrative about a tech job have all been automated away. That's the hope, right? I mean, we finally have chargeback in the cloud. Yay. We wanted that on-prem for like 500 years. So at least you have that and an APIs. So what do you need more than chargeback and an API? That's that's it. Hey, that's why people don't want to go to the cloud. They don't they don't want to be charged back. <laughs> but if you could charge back yeah. via an API, that's the best of both worlds. That's how it charges back, via API, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm a fan. Well, it goes back to what you were talking about that you did in your first job. You learned the things that added value to the business. And I think what you're speaking to, Chris, is putting the disc in the mainframe. It just didn't seem to add that much value. But the things you're able to do today with the API, the chargeback, it's adding more value to organizations that we work for. And when we learn these higher level technologies, that only goes up, making us feel more appreciated, more um, that our work is important and really gives you more energy to do it. You know, you know, the big difference I think today is that we were the API before, you know, I, I was the API, you insert disk into my hand, I put it into the where it needs to go, you know, get the data there. And I, I think APIs, like even my, even my past experiences pontificating on the magic of APIs is overblown. It's an API. Let's, let's like, let's lower it's, you know, royalty level to it's a thing that does a thing. It's more like now the joy comes from the fact that we have so many options. We have so much power to build what we want to build. We don't have to go get the vendor quote and put the thing and plug the other thing and then pay the licensing fee to get the console and the CLI. You know, all this Rube Goldberg machine work that we used to have to do is gone. It's all contractually tethered with an API. It's all available using an SDK, a CLI, a CDK eight languages, everything is available in any flavor, style, format, or, you know, thickness, color, you know, that you want, it's all there. And if you don't like that, you could build your own, right? So it's like, there's no excuse not to be thrilled about what's going on in tech these days. Yeah, there's a bajillion services and you got to track it all, but like, congratulations, welcome to any job that has change. You know, they all have change. Uh, even when I was working at the dealership, you don't think they had to get trained and learn new cars and be able to maintain cars that aren't their own type of cars, like other vendors' cars, like that's normal. That's just everybody's job. Uh, so again, if you're just, if you're looking at this, like this is not fun, this is not for me, you know, it's either shift your perspective, find your gratitude, or just, just this isn't for you. I don't know. And it's not like we have to be an expert at a bajillion things, right? There's a, there's a bajillion things because people need a bajillion things. Yeah. Well, that's where the, you know, that's where people get all crazy about multi-cloud. Just pick a cloud, man. Just, just pick one. I'm kind <laughs> oh, of an I, AWS person, but hey, I, I won't hold that against you. I think that you know one of the things that um, you know you said there was like you know it's instead of you know having to to deal with all the friction between these things, it's like you know the importance has written risen a level right to kind of that architectural level, and it's like I've always said, you know the uh, the uh, the whiteboard pen is mightier than the sword something. I've always said that, guys. Then the second failed joke attempt. It's gonna. It's coming. Yeah. I'm workshopping. It's coming. It. I'm workshopping. 
Well, listen, Chris, we're getting close to the end of our time here, and I want to give you a minute to to add any closing thoughts to the things we've discussed. Any last-minute career tips, words of wisdom for the listeners on getting to that next level? I'll uh, I'll bring it home to the original point that um, frequent writing is a big deal. Uh, so on my team, we all blog internally every week. We share what we've learned, what we've experienced, challenges, you name it. It's totally open forum, and then we all read it and comment and interact with one another. So if you're looking to build connections and become a better writer, start a blog with your team or the people that work for you and uh, use that as a way to to form that connection and also write down all the cool stuff you do for performance reviews and other good things. So do that immediately. That is amazing advice. Chris Wall, thanks for joining us on The Nerd Journey. I really appreciate your time. And uh, we will be you know, actively following your blog now apparently is the only way that you interact with the world. But, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to, to hearing about all the exciting things that you do in the future via your blog. Thank you. listening to that i still remember the episode i listened to about the trials and tribulations of technical blogging that finally got me over the hump to start blogging and i I certainly won't forget that it'll be missed but you know what i totally understand if it's not bringing you joy then you shouldn't do it anymore yeah absolutely i can't help but notice that he closed out talking about writing and that emphasis on writing as, you know, part of your growth as a technologist, you know, as a professional like that, you know, I, I still don't know how we missed talking about that last week, but, but here we are, you know, doubling down on that now. So man, that was, that was great stuff. And we actually will share the link to the blog post he wrote about, about the connection building with his team through writing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's another good one to read. In fact, you know, subscribing to to Chris's blog is uh, probably just a generally good idea. One of the things that he talked about was like that idea of value and joy. And then I think in that process, we kind of introduced him to (laughs) deep work because that's all we could really talk about at that point in time. Like your, you know, every conversation we had. Uh, tended to cross over into deep work, but, you know, everything that he was talking about, you know, emphasized all those ideas. So my understanding is that Chris actually went and read the book and then wrote a blog post um, about um, intentional focus. So we will provide a link to that blog post as well at uh, wallnetwork.com. Yeah, he basically quit social media and he's way happier. And I I mean, that one item just, I don't know if it's the frequency illusion or what, but it keeps coming up in stuff that I hear and see. I heard it at Amp Navigator about people either eliminating social media or trimming it down to almost nothing. We heard it in Deep Work. We heard Jonathan Frappier talk about trimming back his usage to almost nothing. Then we heard it from Chris, and I'm going, 
this has to be, you know, there has to be value there. I guarantee it. If you're, if you're someone who's completely addicted to social media and you haven't thought about seeing how much time you're spending, think back to how much time per day Chris got back by stopping. Yeah. That was, that was a lot. Yeah. He talked about like that excessive connectivity and that, you know, directly paralleled one of the thoughts from deep work, um, that Cal Newport had. And, you know, it actually like made me think about something else that Cal Newport wrote, which was, you know, the difference between a shallow audience and a deep audience, right? Like a deep audience is something that you build because you write well and you have insightful things to say in like a medium to long-term format. And a shadow, shallow audience is about, you know, those like kind of quick and easy surface first thoughts that somebody has in uh, social media. You know, it's, it's very difficult to have long form thoughts on like Twitter, right? So 248 character long form thoughts at a time. <laughs> well, there, there are threaded conversations, but like, again, really what that is, is it's a, a long form thought that's broken up into like 248 character chunks. And actually, I think I misspoke. I think it's 256. Whatevs. <laughs> Off by eight. oh by the way if you find the concept of deep work interesting check out episodes 141 through 147 that is our seven part series reviewing deep work it was supposed to be two episodes but we actually made it seven interestingly enough yeah yeah it's uh i i found it insightful to go back and listen to despite the fact that you know i was doing have to arguably more than half of the talking in them. <laughs> I mean, I didn't time it, but okay. <laughs> I was looking at the waveforms and I was like, hmm, I seem to have more waveforms than, than Nick does. <laughs> well, it's all about controlling your own destiny. You just like to control your own destiny, John, and, and that's what you do through words, right? Either that or I'm addicted to the sound of my own voice. It could be. Or appearing to be the one that that knows more at any given time. This is uh, this has been introspection by the Nerd Journey podcast. <laughs> this has been therapy with John White. <laughs> but but that idea of controlling your own destiny. You know, if we go back to Chris for a second, he mentioned if he could get in the career time machine, he wishes he would have realized that it was really up to him to control his destiny in terms of what he did or did not do and the the choices that he was or wasn't able to make on his own without someone telling him to do something. I think probably we all forget that to some extent, no matter where we are, what we're doing, times of stress, being overwhelmed. A lot of times you just forget that, that you you do have a choice. It's, it's absolutely, you know, hitting all the cylinders on nerd journey bingo, right? Control the things that you can control and, and let go of anxiety over the things that you can't. The, you know, him talking about the current hiring environment, that was kind of eye-opening. The fact that, you know, it's just like amazing lack of talent, you know, and, and companies scrambling to hire people. It's just, you know, if you if you hadn't set yourself up to to study, to to get experience, then you can't really take advantage of it, you know, immediately. But that doesn't mean that you can't start right now, right? So, you know, go do it. Go do the things. And if you... If you move up to management, as Chris decided to do, 
you should do things to continue to keep yourself sharp. I have to say I love the fact that he works on Python and Terraform as a hobby to stay sharp. Mm. Because for me, that reinforces what Camille Fourier said in The Manager's Path about how as you go up the chain, you should still try and do one or two things to to stay tech savvy and not be Mm -hmm. completely removed from the tech. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, Nick, uh, anything else before we get out of here? Nope. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at V Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off. Adios.